0: And just as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that those who, that anyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him for the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Look, something is deeply wrong here. This story is very, very strange. It begins with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews, about to talk with Jesus. We should be expecting a really decent theological, philosophical conversation. A bit of you know port and cigars in front of a beautiful fire. Kind of conversation. Two deeply thoughtful men spent years thinking about these things, ready to discuss them. And he seems to begin that way. Rabbi, he says to Jesus, meaning teacher, you know, I acknowledge that you're a person of great learning and thoughtfulness. We, not only that, but you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could do these signs that you do, except that they, except for the presence of God being with them. Um, we could go into what Nicodemus means by signs. John's very keen on signs. There, there's seven of them, possibly eight, according to the various ways of reading the Gospel. There's something really strange going on in John with signs. But we'll just leave that to the side of the moment. Nicodemus is recognising something as important is going on there. So we're expecting this wonderful conversation. And what do we get? Stupidity and a tin ear. How can somebody be born again? when they've already been born. Jesus is using a metaphor. For goodness sake, what is going on here? Why does Nicodemus suddenly go to the literal? Why does he, given that he spent most of his life studying what, what the Jews call the Talmud, Which is this ongoing written conversation with the rabbis who take the text of the of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, of what we call the Bible, um, the the sacred Jewish text, and they talk about them endlessly over and they argue and argue and argue, and all this is written down in the Talmud, and people read the Talmud and then they argue and argue and argue about it. This is the way Nicodemus has been trained. He knows that these things are not to be taken as literal stories but as metaphors for how we're supposed to live. And that the, the, the idea of whether um, Noah uh, really got into a boat with all the animals, that's irrelevant. You can believe that he did actually do it or he didn't actually. do Not the point. The point is, what are we going to do with this? How does this mean? What does this mean for us now in this point? And each time someone reads the Talmud, they're supposed to think about, that's what it meant for that lot then. That was a 1,000 years ago. Now it means this for us. That's what Nicodemus is supposed to be doing. But this is a terrible critique of Jewish leadership. That what should be happening is not happening. Here's Nicodemus. Now, whether it's truly Nicodemus or whether he's been set up as a straw man, we don't really know. But it's this withering critique to say, this guy is clueless. He completely missed the point. And we've done the same in the church in the 20th century and to, to some degree in the 21st century. We've taught in the church that you must accept these stories as facts. And if you don't, you're out. If you do, you're in. There's a tick list of things you must believe. Do you believe in the virgin birth? Tick. Do you believe in the resurrection? Tick. You're in. Do you not believe those? Or are you unsure what they actually mean? You're not in. Saying yes and saying I believe is all that matters. Now, whether you take them as fact or not, it's is not what's important. What's important is, what could they possibly mean? What could it mean that they, we've got this story of a virgin birth? We've got heaps of stories of virgin births. Alexander the Great, uh, Caesar Augustus. It was always said about really important people who would change the world that they were come from a virgin. And anyway, what does it mean to come from nothing? What does the book of Genesis say about coming from nothing? They're the sort of conversations you're supposed to be having about the virgin birth. Not well, I find it very hard to believe that a woman who hasn't had sex No. For goodness sake, that's the most boring way you could possibly engage with these things. The same with the resurrection. What does it mean to live as if death didn't mean anything? What would it mean to live after death? What it would mean to say to say something that you think is the end of your life and most of us have gotten pretty close to that with some things that have happened to us. What would it mean to live after that that 's what you 're supposed to be doing, and that 's what Nicodemus is supposed to be doing, and he doesn 't do it that 's what we 've not done we 've not invited people into the great mystery of this ongoing conversation we 've said, "Do you believe these strange things oh, no okay you 're not a part of us. Do you not believe them, or you sort of believe or you say you believe them just so you belong? I, We've let whole generations of people go who've not been able to engage in this wonderful ongoing conversation. And we've been often left in churches with groups of people who would rather talk about their sex life than their faith life, than their experience of faith, than their haltering, um, stammering kind of loss of vocabulary experience of what it means to be deeply engaged in the ongoing conversation of what it means to be a human being in the cosmos. (sighs) Got that off my chest. But it's true, isn't it? That's the church I grew up in. Bored me to tears. I was just lucky. Or filled with grace, whatever language you want, I don't care that I started to meet people who weren't going to just put up with this nonsense. They weren't going to be Nicodemus and say, well, how can this be, how can that... Be? They were say, no, no, it's a story. Behind this story, whether it's real or not, yeah, have that conversation some other time. But in this story is a story for us. And Jesus does it all the time. He does metaphor. You can't begin to understand what the heck Jesus is talking about here all this idea, this strange idea of the Trinity, that God is one thing, not even a thing, but one and also three, and language falls over pretty quick, but it's metaphor. It's a figure of speech for something pointing to something else. It's like walking into a room full of fascinating things, but it's pitch dark, but you've got a flashlight. All you can do is sort of Vaguely pointed at things and start to get some rough idea of what might be going on You don't know what the whole room looks like You don't know what other fascinating things are in there Your flashlight isn't that good And it can only point to certain things And as you're holding it, it shakes anyway And it's... See, that's a metaphor too, isn't it? In fact, try having a conversation About anything useful, anything interesting Without metaphor Jesus says you can't be a part of the kingdom unless you're born again or born from above, depending on the different translations. What does it mean? If we go into it as a story, you can't be born by any choice of your own. You just turned up. Somebody else had all the things to do. Two people had sex. One person struggled through pregnancy and you popped out. That's easy for me to say that because I've never been pregnant and never will and it all sounds very straightforward and easy. So all of those of you who have been pleased, my apologies for having no clue about that which I speak. But that's what happened. You didn't decide this, it just happened. You did nothing to achieve it. It is basically a a miracle that you're here. When you look at all these uh, scientists who uh, and mathematicians who, on their off days, try and figure out what is the odds of you being here, the current one I read is that the, the chances that you being born are so infinitesimal that it's one in 400 quad, quadrillion. The chances one in 400 quadrillion that you would be born, which is, I think, a thousand million million. That's basically no odds whatsoever. There's a wonderful bunch if you you can look them up on the internet of Buddhist stories that try to point to this enormous mystery that you are here at all. One of them has um, all the oceans of the world, there's a a little rubber life-saving ring floating on one of the oceans, only one, and there's only one seal in the entire universe, and it happens to manage to stick its head up out of the ocean right in the middle of that ring. That's one of the stories. There's many others to try and point us to this. How bizarre is this? So you can either decide that your birth is of no consequence at all, or you can live as if it's this extraordinary miracle that you're here and that up until now nothing else has killed you. You're still here. You could live that way. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. What does he mean by the kingdom of God? It's a metaphor. It's always a metaphor. The kingdom of God is not a place you go to when you die. It might be that, I don't know. The Bible's full of all sorts of stuff about heaven and hell and, and, and contradicts its, itself because, of course, remember, the Bible isn't a book. It's a library. And li- You wouldn't expect going into the Burnside Library to have all the books agree with each other about everything. So I don't know about that. But what Jesus is talking about is not someplace else. It's not a place you go to, it's a place you come out of. It's an experience of life that you live out of. It's a whole new way of understanding and experiencing the world that transforms it so much that it literally feels like a different place. And we've all had that experience. A moment when things have come together and we've begun to feel like, actually, I really could feel a human being alive in this world. I get those things. Unfortunately, they don't last for very long. It doesn't long before something sort of dumps on me, some stupid thing I have to do or some dumb thing I've done or some complicated thing, and I feel sort of fallen again in a hole. But I know that experience. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's not a place you go to. It's a place you come out of. It's an experience out of which you live as a full human being. That's what he's pointing towards. And we enter that with our little flashlights of meaning. Jesus does it all the time. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. The kingdom is like a hidden treasure. The kingdom is a life you come out of. It's just the language Jesus used. Hear this. This is all in seriousness, Jesus says, when he says, truly I tell you. No one can experience the world in all its reality and truth without a deep renewal of their spirit and of their insides, their mental insides. It's a way of talking about spirit. We often use the word soul. Unless you have a deep renewal of that in your mind and the spirit all the time, you can't be a part of it. But also, the way this language is written, and it's poorly translated into English, the way it's written is, this is already there. Jesus says in Luke's gospel, the kingdom... The metaphor, the kingdom, the world you come out of, the new way of being in the world, that's already among you, it's already within you. Not you individually, you as a community, all of us together. And this is where the Trinity comes in. It's a, it's this ongoing interrelationship between, between everything that God couldn't be God, the Trinity says, unless God was relational. An individual isn't relational. The Orthodox have this great idea that individuals are not persons. You get to be a person only in relationship to other people. You're an individual, everyone's an individual, but you become a person. In other words, you become fully human in relationship to other people. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to live fully in the world. We want to feel that we can experience life in all its fullness. We want to grow into huge, large, enormous persons engaged with other people. There's a deep renewal that is bubbling up within us. We only have two choices. One is to ignore it to drink a bit more, to watch more television, to distract ourselves. The other is to look at it in all its extraordinariness, in all of its fear, because it will change us. And I might not like the way I am now, but at least I'm comfortable. I kind of know how I am. But what if I was to change? What if I was to grow? What if I was to become glorious? It's an old Celtic prayer that says, why not burn? Why not burst into flame? Better stop.